probably should have adjusted this before we started. Am I... Can everyone hear me? I feel like I don't really need it, but you're recording from this, right? Yes. So I should speak into it? Okay. So I thought I would just start by giving you guys an idea of what the book is about without giving too much away, Um, and then sort of the journey of how it became a book, which I haven't talked about a whole lot in interviews yet, and most of you guys may not know. And then I thought I would do a little bit of reading, but I'll try not to go on for too long and have you all want me to shut the fuck up. So I am going to say fuck repeatedly. I've already asked if it's okay. So if anyone's going to be offended by that, you will probably be offended by everything else and should leave immediately. Um, So at the start of this tale, I'm 22 and I'm repressed and insecure and I'm just graduating from USC with a degree in archaeology, which is really useful for the real world. Sarah can tell you all about it. Uh, She shares my degree. Um, $100,000 in student loans and absolutely no idea what I was going to do with my life, which some of you can probably relate to, but it's terrifying and you panic and are sort of trying to figure out that life path. And at the same time, I was realizing I had been in this string of unsatisfying relationships where I had never really found my voice. I had just become whoever my partner wanted me to be and whatever they were interested in was what I was interested in. And I think a lot of people do that, but it was like all of those realizations happening at once was like a lot to put on a 22-year-old who's still trying to figure out who she is. So I went looking for trouble, basically. (laughs) I was bored and worried that, you know, I was working an eight to five and was going to be stuck doing it forever. So went digging on the internet for these sort of curious ideas I had about alternative sexual practices that I might be interested in, namely BDSM. And Back then, it was pre-Fifty Shades of Grey. Like, we, this was not mainstream. It was not something that people talked about, and there wasn't a lot that you could find about it on the internet. So I initially found, like, weird Harry Potter BDSM fan fiction of, like, Dumbledore spanking Hermione and was like, I know that's not what I'm looking for. So then I stumbled upon a, the dungeon website, and first of all was like, what the hell is a dungeon? Like, is this real? I didn't know if it was fake at first, and then I sort of realized, like, no, people really do this professionally. And as I'm flipping through the pages, I see the banner on the side that says, now hiring, no experience necessary. And, you know, it was sort of the universe calling my bluff and saying how bad do you want to go on an adventure? And so I did. I I picked up the phone and got a job interview, and one thing led to another, and I started working there. And I think it's strange now trying to remember what my mindset was going in because I had no idea what was going to happen, and I really just had no concept of anything related to BDSM. So everything was shocking at first, like... Every new session and every new fetish that I came across was like, really, someone's into this? And I think I started with that sort of cynical wall-up that we all walk around with, where you're just judging anything that's different and assuming that it's weird and that someone's a dirty old man and that it just, you sort of default to that. And through working there, I slowly recognized that about myself and came out a completely different person who was much more open-minded and accepting of people's differences. Differences, particularly when it comes to sex. And 
yeah, so the book came out of that. And I think one of the big things that people are asking me right now is why I decided to write a book and why I decided to put it out there. And I think there are a few misconceptions that I'm hoping to clear up for people if they read the book. One is about sex workers and women who choose these sorts of jobs. Um, I think the misconception is usually that they are... Um, exploited or desperate or unable to do anything else with their lives and that wasn't what I found at all. They were amazing, empowered, put together women who in often, in many cases, you know, were in graduate school or vet school or med school. They were professors. They were doing things with their lives and had just chosen this as their side job instead of waiting tables because they, you know, it was exciting to them and they, it was thrilling and they were empowered by it and they were good at it. So I think I'd like to humanize that trade a little bit and show that there's another side to it from you know what we see often in the media and then the BDSM community as well I think is really misunderstood I think it's great that it's come to the mainstream through Fifty Shades of Grey which everyone always refers back to so it's great that everyone has a sort of awareness of it now but I think since that is the only portrayal that a lot of people have been exposed to they misunderstand it as being something that is supposed to make one partner feel less than or put them down or you know just generally sort of disenfranchise one of the partners and make them feel powerless and it's not at all it's such an empowering loving supportive community and you know I, I think it's misunderstood so I'm hoping this is a more authentic portrayal of that 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 people will be able to see that and open their eyes to you know the deeper potential that's there so that's sort of you know, in a nutshell, how the book came about. And I won't get too much into the specifics because you haven't all read it yet. Um, and I hope you do. But so then, all right, I've done this crazy adventure. I've, you know, worked in the dungeon. I've stopped working at the dungeon by that point. And, um, you know, how does it become a book from there? Is, you know, maybe a, it's an amusing story to me. You guys might not be that interested, but I'm going to tell you anyway because I'm the one at the microphone. So, you know, I've stopped working in the dungeon at this point, and I'm kind of kicking ass at my job in construction, and I'm enjoying it, but, you know, I want to write. So I'm there, and this gentleman right here named James is working on a, a project of his own that I'm sort of helping him with, and he's talking to a producer named Leopoldo about it, and James brings me up and sort of gets Leopoldo's attention that, you know, there's this other person who's done this crazy shit, and she's sort of written a little bit about it. So because of that, Leopoldo reaches out to me and says, like, I want to see your stuff. And I'm like, who the fuck is this guy? Like, leave me alone. I'm at work. I'm, I was on a construction site in San Francisco. I was busy, and I was just like, go away. And I'm really glad he persisted and was just, like, kept bugging me and bugging me and bugging me because he turned out to actually be legitimate. And I'm um, I sent him some of my writing in the end, mostly just to get him to like leave me alone. And he read it and, and loved it and said, you know, I've got a literary agent friend who I think would really like your stuff. And again, we live in LA. Everyone knows an agent or a manager or whatever who's going to like make your dreams come true. So I was still pretty skeptical at this point. I was like, okay, I'll talk to your agent friend. So she reads my stuff and we have a sort of Skype date with this agent and she's lovely. She's British and you know, she actually is really accomplished in the publishing world. And I slowly started to realize like this is coming together. 
So then I sign a deal with an agent and I have literary representation just like fall out of the sky. And I think I felt like a fraud as a writer for a long time because of that. Because I think most writers have this tale of like struggle where they get rejected and they're really struggling to find their agent. And it was like, I felt guilty because that wasn't the path that I'd had. So thank you, James, for opening that up for me. Um, so, you know, then I've got an agent, and but that's not a done deal. you still got to sell the book. So we work on the book proposal, and, you know, it's this big document that you put together. And um, as we're working on it, I really wanted to write fiction. I was like, I'm not going to admit that this is my life. Like, I'm, it's much easier. Well, that end, I was like, I'm not that interesting. Like, I, you know, I worked at a dungeon, but I'm hardly the most interesting person who worked at the dungeon. And I just don't see how my story fits some sort of narrative arc it would be way more interesting to like do made up characters and be able to do whatever I want with them and I'm really glad that they convinced me not to do that because I think the story that has come out of it is so much more authentic and I think it's so much more powerful when it's someone actually standing in front of the room saying I did this and I lived it and I think on top of that it's liberating like my deep dark secrets are out there you guys are going to read them and I don't give a shit and you know there's nothing anyone can bring to me that I'm scared of anymore that you know I there's not it's it's just liberating so I'm glad that that was the case so we finished the proposal we scheduled a trip to New York and right about then I'd find out I'm pregnant <laughs> so we're excited it's not like it was a total accident but you know it's still sort of surprising the first time you're trying to process like I'm making a human so I'm you know fly to New York and we're supposed to be pitching the book to different editors at different publishers so it's this crazy schedule where you're like going from different publishing house to publishing house and I was so sick. I was mostly just trying not to puke in someone's cab or someone's office the whole way. Like, it was awful. So I was kind of distracted by that. And then it's like, all right, we've sold the book and we've picked a publisher and we were negotiating the book deal. And they had it where it was going to be due at the beginning of January, which was when my son was going to be two months old. And I was like, eh, that might be a little crazy. Like, let's make it the end of January. I'm sure by the time he's three months old, I'll have my life under control again. Are you fucking kidding me? Like, my life is never going to be under control again, I've realized. So then I'm in a position where my book is due when I have a newborn. He's going to be three months old pretty much to the day when the book is due. So it was insane. My poor husband had to put up with me just, like, sobbing and a mess, and it was horrible. So, But I got through it. I don't remember much of it, but the book came out of it, and we got it done. Um, So... The challenges that came out of that, and I'm almost done with this part, guys, I promise, is um, in some ways it was really difficult to get into the mindset of being this like young, adventurous, free, crazy kid when I was a new mom and like in the trenches of new motherhood and trying to like process all of those emotions and how I just felt differently about the world and my priorities had shifted and I'm trying to write about these like orgies that I did when I was 23 and it that was really challenging and I was worried that that was going to impact my voice and it did but I think what it actually did was gave me a fuller understanding of the human experience and it made me more empathetic and I think it's ultimately a better book because of it that it did shift the way that I looked back on those memories but in in a positive way so that's how the book came about 
Um, so now I would like to read a section to you guys, and I've cut it down a little bit, so it's not exactly the way it appears in the book, but brace yourselves. I'm... Uh, <clears throat> This is actually the section that we're in the middle of trying to get the the audiobook going right now, and I am absolutely terrified to do the audiobook simply because I know I'm going to have to read this chapter. So this is me reading this chapter so that I can get that fear out of the way and I'm not stressed about it when the audiobook comes. So here we go. In our interview, Ted described that he liked to do a session that had elements of fantasy wrestling, but was more about the aftermath of being conquered by a woman instead of the actual experience of someone defeating him. He liked to simulate the headspace that came after having his ass beat, that helpless feeling of despair. I was excited to play with him. What little I had gotten to try of fantasy wrestling had been fun and empowering, and this was a new and novel way of looking at that genre. He allowed me to pick where we would play, so I selected the Dita Von Test room. I wasn't entirely sure how he wanted the session to go, but I was beginning to trust my instincts. I went to start some music, but when I hit play, he softly spoke up. Goddess, would it bother you if we didn't have music? I had a strong preference for music over silence to get in my own headspace, but he was so polite about it that I didn't bat an eyelid and hit stop. The Dita Von Test room is one of the smallest rooms at the dungeon to play in. It's brightly lit with a bookshelf on one side, opposing mirrors on the other two, and a couch against the fourth. Framed pictures of Dita, the burlesque dancer, adorn the yellow walls. Clients rarely want to play in this room. Size is one factor, but I believe they avoid it because it's a distinctly feminine space. Ted lay down in the middle of the floor, fully clothed in his gray sweatpants and white t-shirt. I had to strain to hear his next soft request. Goddess, would you mind taking your shoes off? I have a bit of a foot and stocking fetish as well, so feel free to rub your stockinged feet across my cheeks and mouth if you'd like. He finished sheepishly. Not a problem, I replied, and unbuckled my platform heels, tossing them to one side. No complaints here. Without warning, he sprawled out across the floor as though he had just been thrown there by a conquering Wonder Woman. I watched in amazement as a change overcame him. His breathing quickened and his eyes glazed over with a mix of fear and awe. They were pleading with me, but I hadn't yet determined what for. He lifted a hand as though with great pain and exertion and beckoned me closer. I walked slowly towards him, feeding on the energy he was throwing off in waves. As his posture morphed, so did mine. I felt my spine straighten and my chin raise. Of their own accord, my shoulders shot back and a small smile crept onto my face. This was why I was a dom. Will you stand with your foot on my chest like you just conquered me? I obliged, standing on his right side, planting my left foot firmly over his heart keeping the other on the carpet. Now, will you flex your muscles? I need to see how strong you are, goddess, he added with a sob of desperation as his voice trailed off. I lifted both arms, flexing my biceps menacingly and contracted my quads to show off the muscle that was arguably unfeminine. He whimpered and sighed deeply, the fear settling further into his eyes. He was going to a very real place in his head, and I was excited to take him even deeper. If the bulge in his old man's sweatpants was any indication, he was rather enjoying his helplessness beneath my feet. I don't like very much talking or orders, but will you just say, I'm the winner. I beat you. Ta-da. Just repeat that and maybe change poses to flex differently. Oh, and when you need a break, you can rub your feet on me. 
The glimmer of excitement flitted across his eyes, and then he slipped once more into his state of utter defeat, letting his head flop back to the ground and roll to one side. I now had the full terms of the scene. My mind simultaneously processed how simple this was going to be and how slowly these two hours were going to pass. Dita and I were going to be well acquainted by the end of this. After only a few minutes in this stance, my arms started to shake, so I changed position to flex my arms down in front of my body and changed legs, brushing my stocking foot across Ted's lips. Once I had a foot planted on his chest, I broke this I broke the silence suddenly by shouting, "I'm the winner." Ted shook like a frightened puppy. "I beat you." I said in my most menacing dom voice, glaring down triumphantly at my pathetic conquest. Ta-da! <laughs> now I felt ridiculous. It was all I could do not to laugh. Ta-da? Really? Who the fuck says ta-da past the age of four? I decided I would need to skip that one next time to keep a straight face. The last thing I needed was to start giggling and not be able to stop ten minutes into a two-hour session. I allowed the silence to hang in the air but tried a variety of threatening faces, punctuating eyebrow raises by pushing more weight down with my foot. It was becoming increasingly difficult to stay engaged as the minutes ticked by, but Ted was staring up at me with the eye contact classic to subs. Single-minded intensity focused on you is an amazing feeling, but not when you're doing nothing but glaring and flexing for long periods of time. I was struggling to maintain eye contact, flex, and keep my balance while simultaneously waging an inner battle not to look at the time. I know how that fractures the intensity of the moment, and nothing says, are we done yet? Like glancing at your watch. I like Ted, and I didn't want to ruin this for him. By roughly the 22nd time of repeating, I'm the winner, I beat you, I was feeling pretty silly and was ready for a break. I couldn't keep my quads flexed any longer. I walked around to stand with a foot on either side of Ted's head, my toes touching his shoulders. I took this repositioning as my opportunity to steal a glance at the time. 17 minutes down, an hour and 43 minutes to go. Fuck. I took my time, sensually rubbing my feet across Ted's facial features, watching him relax and close his eyes. This was a break for him, too. He reached up and took my foot with both hands, and I allowed it. Ted looked like he wanted to snuggle into my stockings and make a nest. I alternated between feet since I was once again standing on one leg and knew I would be back to flexing shortly. I got caught up in the sensations, too, feeling the difference in the way the stocking glided over his forehead but caught slightly on the stubble on his chin. I could feel his eyelashes tickle my big toe and his pulse beating into the arch of my foot when I reached his throat. I was surprised when he broke the silent, sensual reverie with a barely audible goddess yes slave don't forget to say ta-da <laughs> fuck I took this as my cue that he was ready for me to go back to some Wonder Woman post throwdown flexing I had only managed to kill eight more minutes but I was refreshed and focused enough to keep a straight face I resumed my position at his right side and forcefully stomped my right foot on his chest leaning closer to his face to shout I'm the winner I watched him sink back into subspace as his eyes glazed over. I beat you! I screamed with a flex of my biceps. Deep breath. 
you can do this. You can do this. Not funny. Not funny. Not funny. Ta-da! I shouted even louder, trying to practice saying it with some kind of emphasis that I could buy into. I didn't laugh, but I was willing to bet that I wouldn't get through a hundred more repetitions without losing it. One at a time, I told myself. Just get through one at a time. An hour and 23 minutes later, I realized I had given up all pretense of caring without even noticing. All of my major muscle groups were trembling when I tried to flex them. I had run out of mental games to play to stop myself from playing guess the time. And the fact that Dom's intensely serious session was taking place next door was making it that much harder to take myself seriously. If I could hear them conducting their interrogation, they could certainly hear my every ta-da... The idea that it was distracting them made it excruciatingly difficult not to laugh. I felt guilty and decided I had to snap myself back into it. When I... Oops. Oh. Finally... I cut a part out there. Finally, we only had 20 seconds to go. I took a deep breath, rolled my neck and shoulders, and let Wonder Woman come back to the forefront of my mind. When I lifted my feet and assumed the position once more, I locked eyes with Ted and sensed that he knew I was back. I glowered down at him and struck a bodybuilder pose with my arms in the air. I looked deeper into his eyes and without showing the slightest reaction with my features said, I beat you. I'm the winner. It took a conscious effort not to thump my chest after each word. His sweatpants bulge had returned, and he was shaking again. His whole body was moving, hips thrusting to that rhythm as old as time. Deep breath. You can do this. Not funny. Not funny. Not funny. Ta-da! I screamed to the ceiling. Next door, I heard Dom start to giggle hysterically, and I lost it. Laughter tore through my chest, and there was nothing I could do to stop it. I laughed loudly with an edge of hysteria, but managed to make it sound triumphant. Still laughing maniacally and feeling like I was starting to mentally slip, I desperately repeated the three magic phrases twice in quick succession. Tears rolled down Ted's cheeks. His breathing was labored with sobs. I hesitated, but his dick was still hard, so I kept going. I'm the winner. He shuddered and sobbed. I beat you, I yelled, still laughing like a mad woman. Ta-da! He groaned while crying and thrashing his head. I was concerned until I looked down and realized that Ted had just come in his pants without any manual stimulation whatsoever. Where the fuck did he just go in his mind? I handed him a towel, but he was still too out of it to care that he had just come all over his trousers and was going to have to leave like that. He scrubbed his face with his hands and steadied himself with a deep breath. His eyes filled with tears again as he looked at me and said, Goddess, that was incredible. No one has ever laughed at me like that. I walked back to the dressing room with a shit-eating grin on my face, feeling about ready to skip myself. I opened the door and was greeted by a chorus of, I beat you! I'm the winner! Ta-da! We were all laughing hysterically. Dominic and Storm were clinging to each other, trying to explain how difficult I had made their scene. Darling Ted had given us all a good laugh that day, and for many more to come. (laughs) Ta-da! So, I think if anyone has questions, I'm, I'm here to answer them. <laughs> you don't have to have questions. Yes? Uh, so, it feels like you, you, uh, you 
grew a lot during this experience. What do you think would be the advice you'd give your younger self, either a teenager or the college student you? Like, what would you tell her? Hmm. From the other side. It's difficult. People keep asking me this, like, you know, would you recommend this path to other young girls? And it's really hard for me to say yes to that because I think a lot of young girls don't come out of it with the positive experience that I had. So I think I'm so happy with where I am now. I'm married to an incredible man. I have an awesome 18-month-old. I'm, you know, I have a book with my name on it behind me. So, you know, it's hard to say that I wouldn't take that path again or, you know, that I would advise college me to do anything different. I mean, I think I would just give her a hug and say it's going to turn out okay. But, um, I mean, if it was anyone else, I think I would say, like, plug into the BDSM community that now exists instead of trying to do it professionally. And, you know, if you've really got your head on your shoulders and you know what you're getting yourself into, doing it professionally can be a good experience. But, um, yeah. So, yeah. I have a question about um, how did you meet your husband? And is your husband also into BDSM as well? So... I worked with my husband for almost three years, and we, like, didn't ever, I mean, he was actually kind of scary. He was in charge on the the job site, and um, I pretty much only had to go talk to him if my team had fucked something up, and I had to go, like, explain to him that we were screwing up his construction schedule, so we didn't, there was, like, no real anything between us for that three years, and then I think during that three years, I grew and changed and, I mean, grew up, and it was like the light turned on and suddenly we connected and you know started seeing each other and um, I think that was an amazing journey for me because he I had spent years being worshipped by men and you know who wanted to please me and were you know it was sort of I was in that role but he was the only one who had ever made me actually feel like that. Like he, it was about me. It wasn't about them being pleased by worshiping me, if you will. So, um, yeah, he's amazing. He's here with my son somewhere wandering around. Um, but as far as the BDSM part, yeah, um, I knew I had to bring it up immediately because you can't six months into the relationship drop like, by the way, you know, I used to be a dominatrix and I'm probably going to write a book about it. So <laughs> when when we did connect, my feelings for him were so intense so quickly that I was terrified he was going to reject me because of it. So I think that was another reason I felt like I had to put it out there immediately because it was like, I don't want to go in any deeper if he's going to reject me for this. So we were at Crystal Cove for like a romantic walk on the beach and it was sunset and we just had dinner and you know I think I sat down on a rock and was like all right I have something to tell you brace yourself um you know I used to be a dominatrix and um kind of gave him an idea of what that meant because I think the first question is like what what the fuck does that mean like what did you do and how did you do it and so I kind of gave him the basics of that and then you know explained that it, it was a story that I was planning on telling one day and just sort of made sure he was comfortable with it and I think something that people seem to wonder is like, you know, was that hard for him or did he feel like he had to compete with those things that I had done and the experiences that I'd had? And I mean, luckily he's this like super confident, powerful, centered man who I don't think that ever crossed his mind. And I think that helped a lot. Um, So, I mean, we're not into 
BDSM in the way that I think I was then. There's not like, I mean, realistically right now I keep saying we're having parent sex. Like anyone who has kids knows what that means where like, it's like, I've got five minutes and you know, you're listening for the baby. And so we're just trying to get through that season of our life right now. Who knows what comes out of that? But, um, so, I mean, that sort of excludes a lot of things, but I think with him, it's more intimate than that. And it's more intense. There's this like, and keep in mind, my mother is in the room, so <laughs> I'm having this conversation with my mom here and my dad. Um, so there's this like intense power exchange with him that is definitely what's at the heart of BDSM, and you know, there's that, but it's not the sort of gimmicky. We're not pulling out like ball gags and that kind of stuff anymore. So I don't know if that answers it for you, but uh, anyway. Yes. Did you find that working in the dungeon helped you working at the construction site and very or vice versa? Yeah, I, I mean, definitely with confidence. Like, you know, it was like the shit I was seeing at the dungeon, I would get to work and be like, there is nothing you can throw at me that I'm going to be, like, phased by. Like, bring it. Let's do this. But, yeah, I mean, I think college really ill prepares you for the real world. Like, I graduated with a degree and, like, I don't know how to schedule a meeting or, like, run an Excel spreadsheet that was in any way sophisticated or, like, just generally deal with the stuff that you deal with in an office. And I think that's really intimidating because you your ego gets sort of blown up in college. Like, oh, I've graduated and I'm a big deal. And then you go into the real world and you're like, I have no fucking idea what I'm doing. So I think it helped with that. that like, I just didn't have any idea what I was doing at either job and, like, made it up as I went along. Anyone else? Yeah. You said um, that you were initially interested in writing fiction, and then, but you're happy that it turned out to be more autobiographical. Uh, in the future, are you? Do you think you would want to veer towards fiction, or maybe do some more investigative journalism type work? Yeah, I mean, my editor is very much encouraging me to stay with nonfiction, but I'm like, I'm changing diapers right now. It's really not that exciting, um, and I, I don't plan on like going to work with ISIS for a year, so I don't know what my path into nonfiction would be at the moment, but I'm working on fiction. Um, I'm a good part of the way through my next book, and it's it's kind of falling back on my archaeology background and combining it with my BDSM experience. So it's um, the sort of the sexy, kinky Greek gods, if you will. Yeah. I hope you have that event here. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Anyone else? Um, you obviously built a lot of confidence when you were in going through this kind of chapter of your life. People reading this that aren't into BDSM, how do you suggest they get into it to find their own version of confidence, not in the same way, but to kind of start getting into that and use that confidence in their real life? So not how they get into BDSM, but how they tap into... Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Kind of start getting into that role and using that in their real lives, in workplace and all that. Yeah, I mean, I think in a lot of ways it depends on their, like, relationship status, right? So, like, if you're part of a relationship, I think it's too many people don't open up a really honest space in their relationship where, like, you can lay anything on the table and it's safe. So I think doing that is really empowering, but it also leads down a path where, you know, you can explore 
and be confident about it and trust your partner. Um, so, you know, I think that would be my recommendation if you're in a relationship. If you're not, I think, you know, like I said, the BDSM community is amazing and open and loving and supportive. So that would kind of be the direction that I would point people. Uh, yes. There's, um, <clears throat> there's, a, there's an essay called uh, Sexual Perversion written by a, a rather clever philosopher called uh, Thomas Nagel, uh, which begins with the words, uh, there's something to be learned about sex from the fact that we have a concept of sexual perversion. So do you think there's something to be learned about sex from the fact that we have a concept of BDSM? hate James because he <laughs> pulls shit like this out and you're like mm. you're scared of answering it because you're not even sure what he means <laughs> I mean, in what no I'm still not sure what you're asking me is, is anyone else want to translate does BDSM have something to tell us about sex more generally yeah, I mean, I think BDSM is so much more prevalent than anyone gives it credit for. I think most people you interact with have some sort of interest in something that we would categorize as fetish or BDSM. They just don't talk about it openly. So, you know, I think the image of sex that we are bombarded with all the time, this, like, very traditional vanilla like missionary no foreplay like simultaneous orgasm from like just normal sex is like it's not real and it's not even what most people are interested in so I think yeah I mean it tells us that people's interests and sexual desires are so much more varied and interesting and exciting than what we try to ram down everyone's throats as part of the mainstream did I do it justice? <laughs> Anyone else? Yes. So mine's can dovetail on the boards. Um, do, do you think you learned anything in general about maybe how men and women approach fetishism differently or the same? Do you think in your experience you found that they would approach it more similarly or would it have differences like yeah, I always found that really interesting. Men have these like very specific fixations is what I found. It's like uh, down to like the color of someone's toenails or the same three phrases repeated over and over and over again. Or it's always just like this very clear idea in their minds of like a visual or something auditory or something physical that's happening and they really fixate on it. And I think because of that, men tend to come to the table with like these really like I want to let the air out of a pool floaty and that's what gets me off or you know like it's something really specific and that's why I think we tend to think men are like the bigger freaks because they're coming at you with like this really often bizarre fixation I think what I found with women is that they're more trying to create a feeling and they're less specific about how you go about that feeling so I think so many women plugged into Fifty Shades of Grey because it's that sort of flirting with non-consent like he wants you so bad he's going to semi-force you and like it's that feeling of being wanted that much and maybe not totally willing and women tend to be trying to get to that but can't always communicate exactly how they want it it doesn't matter if you know he's blonde and is wearing a suit or if he's got a leather jacket on it's more the way he's trying to make you feel so I think that 
means that women are, I mean, they're harder to tap into. It's harder to figure out how to, to please them that way. But um, I, I think, you know, in other ways it is easier because it's, there's a broader way of going about it. So that's what I found. Are we good? It's okay to be good. All right. Okay. So what we're going to do now is um, set up a table so Jenny can sign books. But first, you guys have to go up to the front table and buy your copies. And let's have a big round of applause for Jenny. Thank you guys for being here. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.